This is the Blazing Access Podcast, amplifying disability perspective one story at a time. Today is Friday, February 2nd. I'm Blaze Bryant. This is a little bit of a different show in that I have a couple of guests with me to talk about the upcoming Budget Advocacy Day with the New York Association on Independent Living and Consumer Directed Action of New York. So joining me here on the show are Julia Batista, who is the Policy Associate for Consumer Directed Action of New York. Hey, Julia. Hi, how are you, Blaze? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And with the New York Association on Independent Living is the Director of Advocacy, Alex Thompson. Hey, Alex. Hi, Blaze. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to have both of you on. Budget Advocacy Day is February 12th. As we are taping this, the two of you are up to your foreheads in policy right now, I could imagine. So give us the sense, and Alex, I want to start with you on this. What are some of the biggest issues that the New York Association on Independent Living is trying to tackle in terms of the budget? Well, Blaze, I think one of the big um you know, barriers that we're facing this budget year uh, is connected to the Medicaid program. Um, you know, in New York, we've, for many years now, um, Medicaid uh, is basically the the one-stop shop for people that need uh, long-term care. And uh, unfortunately, the Medicaid program also exists under this thing called the Medicaid Global Cap, you know, which keeps uh, downward pressure on Medicaid spending. Um, and unfortunately, you know, with the, the growing aging population and, you know, we have people with disabilities in New York, there's this, this ongoing pressure um, to reduce spending on long-term care, um, which uh, just keeps being problematic. We keep seeing cuts uh, across the board related to long-term care. And that's, you know, in a difficult budget year like, like this year uh, is unfortunately, we're seeing a lot more of these cuts. So that's something that we're going to be uh, continuing to fight against um, this budget year. And, you know, not a great budget year overall, but particularly for our population, people that need, um, you know, long-term care to stay out in the community. This is this is a real challenge. For sure. And it's thankfully not as bad of a budget year as we were told a few months ago. Julia, Talk about this from the Consumer Directed Action of New York or C. Danny's side of things. Well, we certainly have um, <clears throat> a few major concerns of this budget. Um, primarily, I would say the wage parity cuts for workers downstate. And if <clears throat> you're not familiar with wage parity, it's a mix of compensation and benefits um, for workers in New York City, Long Island, and Westchester. This is something that was created in 2012 and CDPA wasn't included in until 2017. During that time, um, sometimes unscrupulous actors would inappropriately place traditional home care consumers into the CDPA program and make it a CDPA case in name only, in which um, agencies would inappropriately act in the role of a consumer, take on the responsibilities that consumers are legally supposed to take. And sometimes the consumer themselves didn't even know that they had been switched. So because this was happening specifically, um, CDPA was included in 2017. Now, in last year's budget, 
um, I guess I should say the, the state budget for 2024 that was passed last year, um, there was a cut to wage parity of $1.55. Now, wage parity for New York City is slightly higher than in Long Island and Westchester, but in both cases, the cuts amounted to $1.55. And those cuts took place January 1st, 2024, which is the same day that statewide home care workers were um, getting a $1.55 wage increase. That was part of the incremental wages that had been passed in the 2022 budget. Um, so this all gets a little complicated with who's getting wage increases, who's getting wage cuts. But the bottom line is the workers that were included in wage parity saw no increase due to the fact that their wage parity rates were cut. And it was only applied to CDPA. I'd like to add traditional home care workers did not see their wage parity um, impacted whatsoever. Now, this year, they want to cut it all together. And that would bring workers downstate to the lowest wages since, uh, I think, pre-2020 levels, in fact, which, as many of you are aware, um, prices have not been going down on consumer goods <laughs> or like the cost of living, quite the opposite, and at a inflation rate that is um, notable. And so to reduce the wages for a workforce that is predominantly women of color, um, a majority of whom are immigrants as well, is doing nothing positive for equity. It's also going to be very impactful to the people who hire personal assistants. We're already in the midst of a nationwide workforce crisis in which New York leads. This is only going to drive um, more and more of the workforce into other sectors that have more competitive pay and discourage those who might have considered entering the workforce from doing so in the first place. Absolutely. She's Julia Batista. He's Alex Thompson there with me, Blaze Bryant, here on the Blaze and Access podcast. Now, both of you talked about and alluded to, to a degree, the governor's master plan on aging and disability. Now, as she signed this executive order and then you see what's coming out of the budget, how do these things line up and how is no one really except for the disability community really calling her out on this? I think that this is incompatible certainly with the master plan on aging. I don't know many of the specific details, but I know that, you know, the governor and the budget director have both acknowledged the fact that New York is aging rapidly. And in fact, those over the age of 60 are the fastest growing demographic in New York state. So something needs to be addressed. And while I think the intention is to save money so that more services can be provided because that will be necessary. Um, this is going to only reduce service access. For sure. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, as Julia said, there's a lot of macroeconomic issues around inflation, cost of living. Um, and then, you know, there's also a legacy issue of, you know, we had the Cuomo administration for many years where we were seeing no growth in, you know, wages and support for, um, for home care and supports for people to live in the community. Um, and now, you know, we're, we're making, a, you know, we made a little bit of progress maybe in the past two years, but you know, now we're facing cuts basically in, in long-term care, which is unreasonable as we have a 
like you said, we have an aging population that needs to be part of a plan that includes funding. I think one of the, the big issues with this master plan is we don't really know um, how that connects to uh, to budget. For sure. I'm going to tee this up for Alex and then you, Julia, because the two of you are far more versed in policy than I ever want to be. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. There's a reason why I'm the communications guy and doing these interviews and podcasts. Why is it that consumer-directed personal assistance and home care in general seems to be the bully pulpit for so many cuts, yet it was home care workers who proved during the pandemic, which we've known all along as people who work in this space, how essential they truly are. One of the kind of narratives that we keep hearing is growth in the program, right? So the state is seeing how popular uh, consumer-directed assistance is. They're seeing kind of growth in, you know, people want to be able to choose who is providing them assistance with some very, you know, intimate care in some cases. Um, You know, you, these are people that are working in your home. They're, they're really, you know, it's a very personal thing. And I think, you know, being able to choose who is providing assistance to you is very, um, is very important. And now, the other part of that is that um, because of the stagnation wages, a lot of people were not able to get care through traditional, um, you know, agency systems or other, um, you know, support um, providers. So, you know, that's another component of where we've seen gr- growth in the, the CDPA program is there's a little more flexibility in terms of, you know, you are recruiting um, people to work for you. And so, of course, there's going to be growth in a program like that that is very successful, um, that has helped people um, get the care workers that they need. Um, the state seeing that growth, and now they're saying, well, this is you know unreasonable growth in the program, um, but that's also amidst you know a large aging population and you know people with disabilities that are um, seeking this program out because they can actually get the the care that they need to stay in the community. Right, and it. Alex, to your point, it really is an attitudinal thing, isn't it? Because here we saw over 15,000 people in New York State alone die in nursing homes from COVID, yet let's cut the home care programs and keep giving money to the nursing homes. Yeah, there's statistics. I mean, the majority of people would like to age in place uh, and stay in their homes. And so, of course, this is going to be a popular program. Right. Uh, Julia, uh, give us your perspective. You know, to kind of add on to that, I think that there is a pervasive attitude that really precedes this administration, that um, this is something that family members should be providing for free. And this is something that we've had to push back on for a long time. I mean, you can really go on about all of the inequities of women in the workforce and the expectations of them to also provide unpaid care to multiple generations of family. And the reality is you can't, many times, unfortunately, um, people do not have these supports um, informally, or if they do, it's something that is impossible to um, maintain. And if you can't pay a workforce enough money there's going to be no one to provide them whatsoever, paid or unpaid, and people will wind up in institutions. And I think that we have 
despite the platitudes, really had an institutional bias um, in the state. And I was hopeful that this new administration would try to move past that. I think that the temporary savings that they're presented with can be seductive. Um, we find that in the long term, and not even the, the so far long term, um, it winds up costing us more to keep people in, in institutions and to um, not provide preventative care through personal care. So I think it's a, like you said, a problem with attitude and also um, a problem with kind of kicking the can down the road as far as um, the accrued costs. Right. And what quality of life does that give you? Absolutely none. And I've long said and believed there is no cost. There's no way to put a cost on quality of life. Now, we've got a few minutes left here, Julia Batista with the Consumer Directed Action of New York and Alex Thompson with the New York Association on Independent Living. Uh, Julia, I'm going to tee this up for you now. What other issues are on your priority agenda? Well, uh, I think the other biggest priority for us right now is the impending um, personal care cuts that also include CDPA. I think CDPA actually would encompass most of these cuts. Um, there in was in the 2021 state fiscal year budget. Now, just to, again, provide context, that was passed in 2020 when COVID was like reaching its peak in the state. That would reduce um, eligibility for CDPA and other personal care services to individuals who require physical assistance with three or more activities of daily living. Um, that would only be two if you also have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. Now keep in mind, activities of daily living include getting in and out of bed or transferring, um, toileting, grooming, bathing, food preparation, medication dispensing. It's um, The list goes on and on. And to think that someone could live at home needing even one or two of these um, assistance with these tasks and not get it and be okay just really doesn't make any sense. Um, no such eligibility cut exists for institutional care. So I think this again speaks to what I had just been saying about our bias in the state. Um, and I think again, any savings that are anticipated are one, not an inadequate reason to do this. Um, this is people's freedom and safety on the line. And two, um, really, it's going to result in people becoming more disabled through preventable injuries. Um, now, fortunately, these cuts were put on hold in exchange for COVID um, matching funds. Oh, sorry, COVID era um, additional federal matching funds for Medicaid. Um, in order to accept these dollars, we had to agree not to reduce eligibility on long-term care programming. Um, however, that is set to expire on March 31st, 2024. We don't anticipate that these cuts will take effect necessarily that quickly. There's some other things that uh, regulatorily have to happen first, but um, we are trying to ensure that that law is eliminated or, sorry, um, struck from... <laughs> state law so that they can't take place at all. Right. And there is legislation in New York to counteract that. And it is pretty interesting and it's not too far 
In the past, Governor Cuomo was hell-bent on getting these cuts rammed through, which just makes no sense. Now, Alex, I know, of course, through the independent living sphere, the issues are a bit more diverse. So give us the high level on those. Right. Um, so similar to what Julie, Julia talked about, um, the ADL issue is uh, top of mind right now because we have heard um, fairly recently that they would like to implement that uh, April 1st of this year. So we're, uh, we're on a tight deadline to uh, reverse those changes. Um, so, so that's definitely something that is uh, top of mind. Um, one of the other things we didn't talk about, but I know this is something um, that's uh, that Julie's organization also supports is uh, removing um, managed long-term care companies um, from the um, um, long-term care system. Um, that's something where, you know, we'd like to, you know, realize some savings, significant savings and have them reinvested in the system. Um, that's, you know, another top health priority um, for our members and also um, coalition partners, including the caring majority who, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with or fair pay for home care. You know, a lot of these savings can be reinvested and, you know, support the workforce. Um, we also have several um, other priorities, um, including uh, home accessibility through supporting uh, funding for access to home um, and also looking at transportation, um, expanding uh, paratransit service beyond, um, you know, the ADA minimums, which is, um, you know, something that's very limiting to a lot of people um, across the st- state being able to get accessible uh, and affordable transportation. Right. Now, final thing, this podcast will drop probably about a half hour after we find out whether Paxitani fills Saw's shadow or not. So in the interest of some semblance of speculatory certainty, how do you feel optimistically speaking about your overall priorities and those being implemented for this coming budget that is supposed to be due April 1st. But as we have seen in the past, you never know. April 1st could just be a joke in terms of the deadline. I don't want to be too much of a pessimist. Um, but sometimes it takes a few years for um, these more ambitious initiatives to, you know, really take hold and possibly get passed. So some of our proposals are, again, new and bold. And I, I didn't actually get a chance to speak about all of them per se, but, um, you know, I'll leave that surprise for Lobby Day, I suppose. <laughs> um, that said, I think that the most pressing time-wise is the MLTC, or sorry, the um, personal care eligibility changes. And I'm hopeful that the legislature is receptive to the importance of this, especially it's an election year. So it'd be interesting to see how they respond to their own constituents who are going to be at risk of um, losing services imminently. Yeah, for sure. Alex, how are you feeling about things? Um, well, I think, you know, at this point of the year, you know, the barometer that we kind of measure against uh, tends to be the governor's budget. Um, you know, there are there are some good things that we did see that I haven't spoken about already. Um, you know, we're 
you know, encouraged by the expansion of the Office of the Chief Disability Officer, which is an office we fought for uh, for many years. Um, you know, there's support for the Olmstead Plan. Um, there's some good things about um, in expanding uh, employment first initiatives, um, interagency inter coordinating council for the deaf, deaf, blind, hard of hearing. So there's some resources being put into that office, which is encouraging. Um, like I said, I think some of the, the health budget priority items um, are, are going to be the real challenge for us. Um, but I agree with Julia that, you know, it, 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 this directly affects people across the state, especially the eligibility issue. Um, there's a large constituency of people that are going to be impacted by this. So I, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, their voices will be heard and hopefully we can get some positive action on that. Absolutely. Well, I've taken up enough of your time unless there's anything either of you uh, want to add, but I'm going to spell out the websites where you can find out more. So for Consumer Directed Action of New York, I believe it is C-D-A-N-Y dot O-R-G. Again, that's C-D-A-N-Y dot O-R-G for Consumer Directed Action of New York. For the New York Association on Independent Living, for full disclosure, my employer, I-L-N-Y dot o-r-g again that's i-l-n-y dot o-r-g for the new york association on independent living alex thompson and julia batista this has been a lot of fun we will be causing good trouble in the well of the legislative office building for budget advocacy day on monday february 12th and i have no doubt that We'll be talking a time or 16 before then as well. So thank you both so much. Thank you very thank you, much, Liz, for having us. You can find out more about the Budget Advocacy Day on Monday, February 12th by going to the Consumer Directed Action and New York Association on Independent Living websites linked in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think. Let me know. Shows at gmail.com. B-L-A-I-S-I-N shows at gmail.com. You can follow the Blaze and Access podcast on social media, on Facebook and X, the app formerly known as Twitter, at Blaze and Shows. And if you have a minute or two, I'd be grateful if you left a rating and a review. And while you're at it, hit that magic subscribe button too. A quick note about our transcripts. They are generated by AI and are not perfect. However, they do give you a baseline understanding as to what I'm talking about. And in this case what we were talking about here on the Blaze and Access podcast. We have Mental Health Monday coming up on, well, Monday. And Trivia Tuesday, well, you know what day of the week that is too. I'm Blaze Bryant. Thank you for listening to the Blaze and Access podcast, amplifying disability perspective one story at a time. Have a great weekend.